My name is Chuck Lewis. I'm a graduate of the class of 1977 at Gonzaga High School, and I was the first station manager of WZAG. There's nothing more satisfying than having a part in creating something where nothing existed before. Welcome to episode 21 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the class of 86. We created this to celebrate the history and heroes of Gonzaga this bicentennial year. This week, as Black History Month continues, we're celebrating the contribution of a member of the African-American alumni, a contribution he made as a senior at Gonzaga in 1976. It's a story that many of you probably don't know. But Colston, also known as Chuck Lewis, member of the class of 77, was the principal co-founder of WZAG. Chuck, welcome and thanks for joining us. Absolutely, happy to. Give us the backstory. How did WZAG begin? First of all, I was being considered for editor-in-chief of the Aquilian, which was the school newspaper, uh, was not selected. Noticed in my travels at the senior lounge, there was a vintage television camera that was uh, in an upper loft storage area opposite the old theater. Was always fascinated by that. That came to mind immediately after that. Uh, my father always said, if you have a setback, then you have two choices to sort of cry in your cornflakes or to try to find another way up the mountain. So uh, in my mind, that TV camera was another way up the mountain. I got with Danny Costello. He graciously agreed to be the faculty contact we took the camera out and dusted it off, and I wondered if it worked. And so uh, we threw the switch, and it worked. And that was really how WZAG began. I love that. How old was the camera? It turned out to be an RCA TK11 camera, which was vintage about 1955. So who did you turn to to operate equipment that was over 20 years old? Because I'm sure there was no manual laying around. As a matter of fact, took a field trip to the old WTOP building on Brandywine Street. Uh, usually there's someone who knows about the equipment. As I kind of showed in there a 17-year-old kid and announced that I was the station manager of WZAG, a high school television station that we were forming at Gonzaga High School here in Washington. They were quite fascinated by that and by any stretch of the imagination, that was news. And lo and behold, there was an individual who was familiar with the piece of equipment, got some tips and pointers from that. That was really how things began. We found someone, fortunately, who was willing to help once people figure out that you're, you're trying to do something interesting and unique. There are people, not always, but a lot of times people who are willing to help you with those efforts. Uh, I was fortunate enough to encounter two of those people, the technical person at WTOP and also uh, Danny Costello, who was very, very enthusiastic about, about the effort. When you think back to 17-year-old Chuck Lewis knocking on that door on Brandywine Street, are you kind of almost impressed with your own courage and boldness? You know, I guess I'd like to say that, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you don't know that it can't be done. So you just kind of try and do it. So there were, there were lots of people who were willing to help. Chuck, what were some of the things that you and the rest of the WZAG crew in those early days were targeting to film and tell stories about? I was also involved in the Dramatics Association with Mr. Warman back in those days. If we could get this thing going, tape some of the dress rehearsals. And so that was another interesting part that got people enthusiastic. So we had the, the sort of theater crowd involved and we had some of the techies involved. So it was, a, it was a very much a group effort. Some money was found to purchase an additional more modern camera. We got a switcher and a camera, uh, working apparatus. Uh, it was all very basic and it was tied into, as I said, the Dramatics Association. It was tied into the sort of morning announcements that we, we did. As you see how WZAG evolved over the years, and it's still going strong 46 years later, how much pride does that give you, Chuck? I am thrilled and amazed. There's nothing more satisfying than having a part in creating something where, where nothing existed before and have it be such a useful part 
of uh, daily experience at Gonzaga is really a blessing. And there's no other way to, to say it. And especially given the educational mission, what pleases God, he's going to multiply. Thankfully, we have that situation here. Chuck Lewis from the class of 77 took some adversity of not getting the editor-in-chief role at the Aquilian and decided, hey, I'm going to find another outlet for my talents. And one of the people who made it happen was Danny Costello. Now, Danny, you've had a number of roles during your long tenure on I Street. How do you feel about your role in helping launch WZAG? One of the things I'm most proud of is being one of the co-founders of WZAG all the way back there in the fall of 1976. Broadcast from the library, we had one small black and white camera that ran from a cable into a a jack in the wall. And then we would take a microphone, run the cable out the library window, down into the headmaster's office, into the PA system. And Mrs. Opal Bell was the registrar at the time. And at 8.30, she'd unplug the PA cord and plug in our microphone. And there we were, we are alive. The tradition of trying to entertain while in form was part of WZAG right at the beginning. The boys who were the announcement would do anything to me. I mean, there's only so many ways you could say that the chess club is meeting at 245. So we, we had one guy, Tony Salvador, who mimicked George Carlin's hippy-dippy weatherman, and he would read the announcements as if he was stoned the whole time. I don't know how we got away with that. The one thing I, I have to say about WZAG that probably hasn't changed in 45 years is that the moderator gets in trouble for the student's behavior still. With all the technological advances, whether it's running a microphone out the window or now with all the bells and whistles, the moderator is going to get in trouble when the kids get out of hand. So <laughs> happened plenty back in 1976, too. Danny, any other memorable attempts at comedy that didn't quite work out? We had another fellow who read the whole announcements as if he was Father Lily. We got in trouble for that one, too, but it was fun. It's always, I think, a challenge for all the moderators to help guide the students between that fine line between what's funny to them and then what's acceptable to the school community as a whole. And and I'm just glad I don't have to help walk that line today. Danny, the feedback's pretty instantaneous. You know, whether the kids enjoyed it, whether the teachers and faculty had a problem with it, was there anything that you learned quickly that was pleasing overall to everybody? We soon found out that in showbiz, you took the most oddball kids around the school, the biggest kid, the smallest kid, the smartest kid, the, the biggest athlete, whatever it was that would make people tune in, that, that's what we did. It was a challenge, but it was fun. When you look back, it's been 46 years now, and you see how WZAG evolved from what you and uh, Chuck Lewis helped start to something that's now part of the curriculum at Gonzaga. Even though there's been ups and downs, you have to feel pretty satisfied that the school never killed the project. Gonzaga, when it puts its mind to it and is committed to something, it's, it's going to survive. And if the kids are enjoying it, and I think that's a common thread for the 45 years, 46 years, is that the boys have enjoyed this, and so the school stays behind it. Even though it began as a club, the educational opportunity of working with cameras and telling stories made WZAG very special. And Danny, what was one of the earliest field trips that you remember facilitating to help the kids learn more about media and how to use a camera? 77 or something like that, I I convinced our headmaster, um, Father Clem Petrick, to let me take a group of WZAG guys out to a hotel in Lanham where Muhammad Ali was training for one of his fights. I I had been, while in college, I fought in the Golden Gloves circuit. So I knew people, 
And I got us there right at ringside. And we were there for oh, a couple of hours. We went through several reels of tape while uh, we didn't have any sound. The champ came over to the ropes several times and mugged for the, the students and would shake their hands. And it was, uh, it was a big success. What a moment, even without sound. That's just incredible. So, Danny, you're still there on I Street. You see how WZAG has become a part of the curriculum, but it's also grown to be a medium that helps the school connect in new ways. WZAG today, for instance, it's used for the uh, the daily Ignatian examine. I mean, it's it always has been a community builder here at Gonzaga, and Gonzaga does community exceptionally well. It's at a whole nother level now. It's being used used very effectively to bring the school, the teachers together, keep people informed, and, and to develop spiritually and socially and academically. Danny, it was almost 20 years before WZAG became an actual part of the curriculum at Gonzaga, but what educational benefit did you see for these young men who were there at the beginning that you got to watch? I hope they discovered something about themselves and that they, I know then they walked in the halls and there'd be a teacher slapping them on the back for the performance they'd given that day, whether it be funny or informative or somehow building community. It takes a bit of courage to get up there and face the camera in front of your old school and know that you're going to walk out through the door and, and uh, be judged on what you did. It was fun. I certainly had fun with all of them and great learning experience, great growth experience. And I think that that's why it's lasted like all things that are successful. There's a teacher, there's an adult who's helping to guide the students. So none of this would have happened without the, the great support of the teachers and the administration down through the years. That's Danny Castello. He and Chuck Lewis got WZAG rolling. And Father Mark Scalise, at the time known as Mr. Scalise, really elevated WZAG at the period of time where it became a part of the actual curriculum on I Street. So uh, my name is Father Mark Scalise. I was ordained in the Jesuits in 1997. I did the regency portion of my Jesuit training at Gonzaga between 1991 and 1994. And during that time, one of the courses that I taught was a TV production course. And a component of that course was managing the daily broadcasts of WZAG during homeroom period. Now, Father Scalise, you brought this skill set to Gonzaga that didn't exist there before. What interested you in film and TV production? In the novitiate in Wernersville as a novice, I had started to get interested in documentaries. You may be familiar with a PBS series called The American Experience. It debuted in 1987, the year that I entered the Jesuits. I had always been a fan of the old Life magazine. One of my treasured possessions that I still have, it's, it's here in my office, is a, a book called Great Photographic Essays from Life magazine, which was basically using photography to tell stories. And so there was a connection there, I think, between my interest in still photography and moving documentary. Because I had learned here at Loyola a little bit about some film history and documentary history, I wanted to expose you guys to that stuff. For the two years that I was here, I took courses in film production, video production, a little bit of film studies. Those were the skills then that I used when I went back to Gonzaga for my regency in uh, 1991. Father, do you remember specifically some of the systems you put in place as this thing went from a club to a class? I had worked out a, a routine for teaching the class where I would have 15 students 
who had to interview for the class, so they were motivated. I had students who had taken the class as juniors, who are now seniors, who were interested in continuing to do a kind of independent study version of it, that I could funnel in to be producers for daily shows. And I had, you know, kind of worked out some of the routines of like the format, the things, you know, it's this day of the cycle and having, you know, random people introduce the WZAG at the start of the day. We had also settled on a format that there had to be a pre-taped segment that would run in every episode. One of the themes that we talked about a lot, I think, was the sort of the difference between entertainment and a responsibility in broadcasting to be truthful and not to pander and you know, I had in the summers, even before you came, watched the movie Broadcast News. And that was the theme of that whole movie, which, you know, standards of journalism versus, you know, surface glitz entertainment. Needless to say, America has lost that that struggle. I mean, it's it's been lost. Yeah, we've blown past the warning signs in broadcast news. That's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about any specific students that you may recall during your time on I Street, Father Scalise, where you were just amazed by their talent and their creativity. One of the students who really raised the bar on what student video projects could be was Corrado Corretto, who graduated in 1993. When he was younger at Gonzaga, he had started something that he called Eagle Eye Productions, which was a club for trying to make movies. And one of the things that he had done with Eagle Eye was a takeoff on that movie Child's Play with a little demonic doll, Chucky. Uh, He had this footage in the can, as it were, that he had shot for Eagle Eye with the dean of students who was no longer at the school. He had taken another job someplace else. But what he did then with the editing equipment that I had on hand is he put that together into a trailer for a fake movie about supposedly Chucky's sister, Chelsea. But he used music from like one of the Batman movies and, you know, put together this sort of scary trailer for Chucky. And that was one of the first things that he did that then sort of raised the bar. He did a music video, Welcome to the Jungle, in which he came up with the scenario that a little tiny freshman accidentally stepped on the seal in the main hallway that thereby gave students license to torture him. The way it culminated then was they got Mr. John Seeley, who was like the religion teacher and the gentlest soul on earth. I mean, he was the one who was revealed to be the torture master at the end of the of the video. And that's kind of how it ended. I don't even know who that teacher is, Father Scalise, and I can envision how funny that would have been to the students. And it's always trying to walk that fine line that's a very gray area. It was a constant battle making sure the things that you did were both fun and creative, but also acceptable for viewing in a Jesuit Catholic school. And we did go over the line a couple of times. That prompted the headmaster at the time, Dr. Joe Cangolini. He came in and talked to the guys about Aristotle's poetics, a section of the poetics in which Aristotle basically says, you know, I'm going to teach you all the art of rhetoric. And the art of rhetoric is how to persuade people to do things that maybe they weren't intending to do. If I'm going to teach you how to do that, that's a lot of power to have. And so with great power comes great responsibility. 
you all have a responsibility to really think about what you're putting out, WZAG students. It's not just neutral. It's not just it's not just entertainment. That challenge when it comes to creating content never goes away, no matter how old you are. But one thing that has evolved over the last 30 years since you were involved with WZAG, Father, is the technological changes. Are you just amazed at what we can do with these phones that are in our hands now? When I think about that, I my mom is in an assisted living facility now. And during the pandemic, of course, when things were shut down and we couldn't visit her, there was a nurse who wrote to my siblings and me and said, you know, why don't you record something on your phone and send them to me and then I'll show them to your mom. And so I had just moved to Chicago again that year. And so as an experiment, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to like give my mom a tour of where I live in my neighborhood in Chicago by shooting it on my phone and editing it in iMovie entirely on my phone. And I did voiceover on it and and everything. It was sort of like a a little editing challenge uh, for myself. And then I was able to send it to this nurse from my phone, and then she could show it to my mom. It's remarkable, the stuff that you can do. It's, it's way cool. When I think of what we could have done back then with the technology that exists now, it's really crazy. Students who were part of your era of WZAG Father would remember the video toaster. Where did you discover that technology? I don't know how I learned about the video toaster. There was this company called New Tech that came up with consumer grade software that at the time wasn't even available on the Mac. There was an older competing platform called the Amiga. What you had to do was play video through the Omega, and you could then superimpose effects on it. And so that's how we were able to give WZAG the look of like a real broadcast, put credits, lower thirds on there. We can have some fun with, you know, fancy transitions and things like that. Uh, Again, which um, some of you guys had great fun with. Now, former WZAG member Dave Konchik from the class of 94 has been a huge help in helping me gather all this sound that we're presenting in today's episode. And he was on the call with Father Scalise, and Father Scalise referenced a specific feature that Dave had a hand in creating that he still finds to be quite funny. I think it might have been your year, David, that I remember there was uh, an ultimate Frisbee club, and there was uh, a teacher, I can't remember his name now, but they were playing ultimate frisbee out on the football field. And this teacher was just playing in gym shorts and running shoes, but he didn't have a shirt on. And I think maybe it might've even been you, David, who came up with this idea that they showed clips of this teacher running around, but then took a, a box that had like video snow on it and superimposed it over his shorts so that, you know, it would, you had imagined like he was naked when he was like running around the, the, the ball field. Again, very, very creative. And I thought that was harmless enough, but also very fun. That was me. And uh, he was my physics teacher at the time. And it actually, it didn't backfire on me. He ended up hiring me for extra credit to make a, a, a little video for his ultimate Frisbee team. He, he was a very good sport about it because I don't think he knew it was going to happen, right? I don't think he did, no. <laughs> wait, 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 Dave, you did not tell him beforehand? <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. I, I, don't, I think I already had a pretty good grade in his class, so I think I figured I could roll the dice. <laughs> Father Scalise, when you see your impact 
all these years later on guys like Dave and so many other students who took your course and then ended up with careers in media or doing documentaries like Dave's been involved in, does it give you a sense of almost like paternal pride? It's very satisfying to see so many of you guys actually make careers out of it. I mean, delightful, right? So, I mean, as a Jesuit, uh, I don't have children of my own. And so I do feel a certain pride in you guys managing to make good, you know, of yourselves in the world and to recognize that I, I had something to do with that, that no, that's a very, it's a, it's a very gratifying thing. Do you ever keep up with some of those former students? There will be times where I'll be listening to NPR. I can't remember what the story was about, but they interviewed Justin Driver, who was one of my WZAG students and is like, I think an e- economist now and is teaching at Yale and they, they were interviewing him. So when you teach at Yale, it's very easy to find your email address. So like I looked him up right away and wrote to him, congratulated him on on that. Another time, about 10 years ago, I was listening to NPR and they interviewed Brody Mullins, who was working as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, which he is still doing. He was in the first group of guys that was on WZAG. I remember that he ended up going to Northwestern for journalism and I think print journalism was always closer to his heart, and that's indeed what he's doing now. But again, to, to see that guys are doing that kind of stuff is awesome. You can see Brody, he was producing his team's show. And as a high school student, he was clearly dead serious about this. You know, this was, there are people goofing yeah. off and doing all things. And, you know, and a lot of us just wanted to just make funny things to try to make people laugh. But you could tell this is a guy who already at that point was probably in some way thinking of a career in journalism. And then there are other people too. I mean, one of the things I did not appreciate about Gonzaga when I was there really at all. I mean, it is in the nation's capital. And so the people who send their kids there, I mean, there, there are some people there who are pretty connected in the world. There was a guy who worked for the NBC affiliate. The last name was Collins. Sure. Pat Collins. Pat Collins. That's right. And he had two boys that went to Gonzaga I never taught either of them, but I got to know them. And then through them became a regular thing that he would let us come on a tour of the studio on a Saturday night and watch the the news being broadcast. We were like literally in the studio when it was going live. Of course, we had to be quiet and all that kind of stuff. Again, which was just a, a, a real treat. If you flip through some of the early yearbooks at Gonzaga, you'll see that there was a radio guild, not unlike WZAG in the 1970s, but radio. The history of the Jesuits encouraging, studying, and mastering media has been a hallmark of Jesuit education, Father, that goes back centuries. Historically, probably the main arena of Jesuit ministry is in the area of what we call the ministry of the word. And traditionally, that is preaching, right, and breaking open the Bible. But, you know, more broadly speaking, it's the humanities, literature, and the arts. Jesuits have a very old and venerable tradition of using the performing arts as evangelical tools, including opera. You may, for example, remember the movie from the late 80s called The Mission. The Jesuits set up missions in Paraguay. One of the first things they do is they're teaching the indigenous people there 
music and how to how to play Western music on instruments that they had crafted by hand. A quick aside, a legacy of that was about 10 or 11 years ago, I tried to learn Spanish at the Mary Noel Language Institute in Cochabamba, Bolivia. And we were always going on excursions. We went to this one part of the country where there are the remains of Jesuit missions from that time, some of which are still functioning parishes. The Indigenous people who live in these towns still play the classical music that the Jesuits introduced in that area like 400 years ago. It's remarkable. To get back to the modern day, the fact that we, a place like Gonzaga, still has a really healthy regard for the arts, including, you know, the traditional, you know, painting, photography, music, choral arts, plays, uh, theater and film and video production is, you know, more modern examples of that. It, it's just part of a, a, a long and proud tradition that I'm really delighted is still alive and well at Gonzaga. That's Father Mark Scalise, and John Gushin from the class of 92 remembers when Father Scalise did something very special that helped him in getting into the very competitive Newhouse School of Broadcasting at Syracuse. Father Mark Scalise was just starting as the teacher of the course, and he had gotten some new technology from Gonzaga in the off-season, so he was like a kid in a candy store. And all of a sudden, he has a pre-produced open with music and Ike Wilkins' video running to pay dirt, and I said, wow, this guy is going to be really something of a teacher for this course. And we got to talking about Syracuse and what was happening. And he said, hey, you know what? I need a couple of weeks to get this class started here with this group of new students. Would you mind filling in as an anchor for the first couple of weeks or so? And of course I said, yes. So as it turns out, you talked about the little threads that make a difference on a previous podcast. It turns out that he goes and records one of those segments and gives me the VHS tape to send to the admissions committee at Syracuse. I will go to my grave believing that that kind gesture made the biggest difference for me and getting in for him to give me that VHS tape with the whole segment there as a well-produced television show. And for me at the high school level to be able to submit that as if kind of, I was a TV reporter applying for a job. I will go to my grave believing that that made such a difference, those two things together. And as I approached the 30th anniversary of my graduation, I've come to realize just how much of a difference Gonzaga made, uh, not only in jumpstarting my career, but it continued on into radio for several years and then ultimately into corporate communications. That's John Gushin from the class of 92 and his memory of a kindness by Father Scalise that launched his career. A more recent graduate who's made his mark in media already from the class of 2015, Darrell Bachnight. I remember waking up early and, and I lived in Northwest DC and I remember taking a drive up North Capitol Street, getting to school by 8 a.m. most mornings, going straight up to the WZAG studio my junior and senior year. And whether I was producing stories or anchoring the morning newscast, I just remember all those fond memories of being with the guys and putting stories together and getting the news out to the student body and those were two of the best classes I've taken, two of the best years during my time at Gonzaga, and it's really helped me to where I am now. After graduating in Zaga in 2015, Durrell ended up at St. John's University in New York, eventually landing at CBS Mornings as a producer. Now he's moved on to become an associate news producer at CBS Sports and CBS Sports Network. Durrell, what do you remember about the people you worked with when you were on WZAG? It was a 
part of the anchor desk, myself and Richie Pettibone, who was a fantastic athlete at Gonzaga and in college, of course, he and I would often anchor ZAG together in the mornings. I had my own little sports segment called the Balk Night Report, where I would report on Gonzaga's games from that weekend, basketball, football, lacrosse, soccer, whatever it was, you name it, I was the guy. But I remember doing all these these features with uh, Will Irvin and, and Mike Gallagher and doing these crazy, funny intros. And Mr. Brian Larkin, who was our moderator at the time, he would come to us and say, you need to produce this feature or this feature for this month. Then just brainstorm ideas with us. And he gave us the freedom and the ability to create on our own and to kind of do what we wanted to make people laugh and to put smiles on people's faces. And that's what I remember doing. And we had a class full of characters, you know, Nick Jenkins, you know, so many guys had different views and different personalities and different ways of expression. And I think merging all of those together really helped us create a product that people loved and people looked forward to every morning. And no matter the generation across 46 years, once you left the studio after finishing a WZAG broadcast, you got the instant feedback. A lot of laughs, a lot of smiles. When homeroom would end and we were leaving the ZAG studio, you had to go downstairs and cut through Coleman and go through the Sheehy Theater to get to classes. And there were kids who would, I was a senior and they would be freshmen and they would, you know, kind of look and wave and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, nice feature this morning or hey, nice story or hey, I saw you on ZAG reporting or anchoring. And then you would get to your classroom and your your teacher would be laughing it up. Darrell, is there any one feature that just instantly comes to mind when you think about your WZAG days? We did so many that were so silly. I remember we did one Thanksgiving turkey chase. A couple of the football guys were out and they were in the, the K Street parking lot and they ran around the H Street and came behind where the Walmart is now and cut through the, the tennis courts where they're building the Georgetown dorms and came and, and on I Street and ran back into the building and into the cafeteria and had like a turkey versus I don't know what other Thanksgiving food fight in the cafeteria. Again, that was the merging of these creative ideas that on the surface seemed bizarre, but actually when you put pen to paper and shot the video and edited everything, it was truly entertaining. Durrell, when you graduated in 2015, did you have any idea that WZAG stretched all the way back to 1976 and was started by Chuck Lewis? To be honest, I, I did not know there was such a rich history. I had seen pictures before in our yearbooks of guys on the anchor desk with their papers reading the news or broadcasting. And those pictures were from the early 90s, the mid 80s. And I knew ZAG was a, a part of Gonzaga's history. And I knew it was something people really look forward to every morning or, or every new school year to see who was anchoring and who would be on the show for that coming school year. But I didn't know that there was so much, again, so much history and there was so much that people look forward to in terms of watching ZAG day in and day out. Do you feel like the course prepared you for the job that you have now? There have been a few things that I learned from ZAG that I actually use right now in my job at CBS. I had to learn how to write scripts, how to edit video, both of which I did at ZAG. I've had to learn how to produce stories, which is about 90% of my job now at, at work. It's finding video and, and sometimes shooting video, bringing it into our internal systems as we did at CAG. I think, again, that's something that our moderator, Mr. Larkin, really ingrained in our heads and, and really pushed for us to learn was 
how to do and implement all of these different elements into our curriculum, especially if we had plans on going into media. Darrell, how early in your Gonzaga experience were you sort of drawn to WZAG that you knew you wanted to apply? I knew my freshman year that I wanted to be on ZAG. The first time I saw it in homeroom in Mr. Hartnett's homeroom religion class, that's when I wanted to be on, on ZAG. And it was like my junior year couldn't arrive soon enough. And as soon as the applications went out, I, I filled one out and the rest is history. And, and that's when I was fortunate enough to join. Jarrell, walk the current Gonzaga student through what happened after you graduated. I know you attended St. John's University in New York, but explain to everyone the steps that led you to your job at CBS so they understand the work that goes into, you know, actually getting in the door and starting that media career. You know, I I wrote for the school's newspaper at St. John's. I wrote, I was a sports editor, eventually became news editor. I had a couple of smaller internships. I had one at a local paper in Queens covering the birth. I had one at a local New York One TV station. My senior year was the the breakthrough. That's when I got the internship at CBS News. The second semester of my senior year, January of 2019, is when I started at CBS. And they hired me full-time right out of college, being a position that not many people in my age blessed to have. I certainly think what I learned at Gonzaga in terms of writing and producing really, really helped me in college and now professionally, learning from Mr. Ross and Mr. Welch, my English teachers, and Dr. Rosetto, he was my moderator with the Aquilian. They really helped me so much to form and craft my writing and to write for print and for broadcast and also learning from Mr. Larkin on the broadcast side as well. I learned so many things from them and it really made my college experience easier. And I don't know if I could say the same if I didn't have that foundation not only of those teachers, but of a Jesuit education. Well, Darrell, continued success to you, and thank you for sharing your WZAG experience. Thank you. WZAG, a launching pad for so many students into so many different lines of work, and it all began in 1976 with Chuck Lewis. Thank you, Chuck. And thanks to everybody who participated in making this episode happen, especially Dave Konchik from the class of 94. Dave, you know how much you helped me put this together. So thank you. That puts a wrap on episode 21 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. Remember, feedback is always welcome. You can shoot me an email, podcast at gonzaga.org. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us that five-star rating and feel free to write a review if you'd like. And if you haven't done it already, be sure to subscribe, follow, subscribe, and share this with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time, ad maiorium dei glorium and hail Gonzaga. Martin.